Hello everybody, welcome to Acts, the founding and future of the church. I am Pastor Chris. I am Pastor Eric. We are glad to be together tonight Indeed. to, uh, well, I guess to start wrapping Acts up. We've been here for a long time. We're on like episode 16 or something yeah. like that. So that's a lot of weeks. It's, it's a lot of weeks, a lot of content, a lot of stuff. Acts is so rich and interesting. So our goal tonight is to... Filled with favorite stories, we might yes, say. Yes, lots of favorite stories. Lots of favorite, favorite things, so that's good. We want to paint some broad brushstrokes tonight about where we're going and close, close Acts down next week. So that's kind of where we're at today, but Pastor Eric, would you pray us in? Yes, let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for this journey that we've been on uh, through the book of Acts. We thank you for, for Paul and his own missionary journeys, how you used him uh, to spread your word, and we thank you for the faith journey um, that we all are on and for your constant companionship as you lead and, and guide us. Bless this conversation as we continue today and um, go forward, lead us by your spirit as you led Paul and the apostles. In Christ's name, we pray. Amen. Amen. So, so Acts, if you look at your Bible, Acts has 28 chapters. We've plowed our way through about 16 of them. And we're kind of in chapter 16 now. We've covered lots of ground as far as establishing that beginning of the church. and Started in Jerusalem. Yeah, we started in Jerusalem. And then if you remember, everything kind of started to go out via persecution. Mm -hmm. And so now people are kind of everywhere. Paul has, or Saul's been converted and he's going out. And what we're, the section we're in now for Acts is these three missionary journeys of Paul. And for those of you out there, if you want to just literally Google, Google image missionary journeys of Paul, you'll get a whole bunch of maps that show you the thousands of miles that Paul traveled by ship and foot and walking. Not airplane? Not by airplane. He did not fly. Nope. He was purely, uh, right, no airplane. And he, is, he would go out and go to these places and it maps his journeys and how he would repeat his steps. So we're in that section of Acts right now. And his last journey is him heading back to Jerusalem. And then that's where we want to get to today. Mm -hmm. But ultimately he ends up in Rome by the end of the book and we'll end there next week. But for now, yeah, Paul's traveling and he's going everywhere yeah. and he's staying there all sorts of places. So we want to urge you to read that. But in terms of what we're going to do today, we're going to highlight some things from yeah. that for us. Little, little teasers to, yeah. to encourage you to do, do some reading because uh, there, there is some really interesting stuff in these journeys, yeah. but uh, it's a lot. So, and it's, yep, he went here, he went there, he went there, and then something really interesting happens. Yeah. Like he gets bit by a snake that should kill him and he doesn't die. Indeed. That's interesting. Yeah. So just... That's, that's on the way to Rome. We'll that's get there on the way next to Rome. Week. We'll get there next week. So as we wrap it up. Uh, I'll, I'll just start and share All right, yeah. something tell, that tell I've... What sticks out to you from uh, these journeys that we got here? I, I'm, I'm fascinated in chapter 16 by an experience that Paul has with... Um, it's titled The Conversion of Lydia, and he meets this woman. But what I like about the story is they end up at this town, and they know that if there's any Jewish people in this town and there's not a synagogue there, by the law, they're gonna be down worshiping by a body of moving water, because that's what the law demanded. And so they go down to the water to a place of prayer, mm -hmm. which would have been the only thing allowed, and they find a whole, not a whole bunch, but they find some women gathered there mm -hmm. 
praying and doing their thing. And, and they talk to them and end up co converting this, this woman. And Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth, and she pops up later, but I just, it's fascinating to me that on their missionary journeys, they didn't really have a plan. They went to a town and they're like, if there's some people here to talk to, they're probably gonna be over there. So they went, they convert this woman. They didn't have a plan? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Their plan was really loose. Like, let's see if there's anybody here that's interested. Yeah. <laughs> that was good. Yeah, they didn't have a, no plan, imagine. Um, and, and her and her whole household are converted is what it says. Yeah. And I think that's so interesting that the early church faith is not always described as a personal faith and a personal conversion. And we're mm -hmm. so dead set on that in our the individual life. Yeah. yeah. In our corporate life of church, we're focused on the individual. Yeah. And I don't know. I think there's some power in, I don't think, I, I believe that there is power in that connection. So yeah. I really like that. Well, I mean, I think it's helpful to sort of put it in the context that we're coming out of here of of Israel. Yeah. Right? And, and the Jewish faith, and it's a community. Yeah. It wasn't like everyone was making this decision to to be Jewish, as it were. They were born, and uh, we talked about uh, Timothy's circumcision a few weeks ago. Unfortunately for most of them, that wasn't a, you know an adult thing. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, but the community was making this decision, you know, for them. Um, right. They were being born into it. And, you know, so it's not like this is an unprecedented thing. The individualism is more us. That right. We've yep. kind of brought our cultural um, emphasis in that direction to faith. But, you know, you do have things like baptism, right? Um, at least as we practice it, yep. uh, you know, in the Lutheran tradition and others, um, where you know, the infants that I baptized a couple weeks ago, you know, I don't think she made any decision at that point. <laughs> she didn't have a choice. You know, she right. was part of the household, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, was, it was brought by her parents, and we were right here, and, um, and baptized. Yeah, yep, yeah. and that's, that was the Jewish way. I mean, mm -hmm. we talk about circumcision prefiguring baptism, mm -hmm. I believe is our language, and how you didn't have a choice to be Jewish, you got, you became Jewish, mm -hmm. Jewish, that was it. Mm -hmm. Baptism's part of that too, so. So anyway, I like that story. I think it's uh, an interesting um, uh, vision yeah. in, into personal faith versus corporate faith. And it shows a whole bunch of faithful women when there's no uh, no males around. And I think that's pretty powerful right. in terms of raising... I kind of like that in this. Lydia is the head of the household. Yes, she's the head of the household. Elevating females in the church right. uh, is, is good. I think probably in particular because we've been sitting here as, you know, Two men talking two for however many weeks at it now that it's it's good to for us to sort of be lifting up and just noticing that yeah, that's right. happening. Okay. Um, so how I, about you? What's what are you? What do you got? You know, I'm, I've always been intrigued by the next chapter, Paul in Athens. Okay. Uh, you know, and this encounter that he he has with the the Athenians, and it talks about all of these different philosophies, the Epicureans and the Stoic philosophers, and you know. Paul's disturbed by these these idols that he sees thrown. I like what he says to them um, when his. Let me see. It's like for as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription to an unknown god. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I I proclaim to you. And I've always sort of felt drawn to to that idea of the the unknown becoming known in, in a person. And I guess I sort yeah. of feel like even 
in my faith still there is an unknown mysterious aspect of, of God because, well, God is God. Um, you know, God is always going to be unknown to a certain extent. And then, you know, in Jesus, God is made yeah. known. God takes on flesh. Um, and so this unknown known piece just is intriguing to me. And I, I actually you like the mystery. I like the mystery. Yes. I mean, and I, and I like having both, though. You know, I like the the mystery and also the mystery being revealed in the incarnation um, that we have in Christ this embodiment of the mystery. Yeah. You know, that shows us at least what that mystery, you know, looks like walking the earth, as it, as it mm -hmm. were. Yeah. You know, there's, there's a mystery beyond the flesh, as it were, but, you know, it is embodied in the person of Christ. And I think that that's just um, fascinating. And I guess I, I just like the Athenians because... At least as I read it, you know, there's this mixed bag, and they just seem to be inquiring people. Right? They're, they're trying. Yeah, they're, I mean, they're, they're just asking questions, and they're just interested. And I, I mean, I think sometimes I go in a direction of like my curiosity and my musings mm -hmm. and so on can spiral a little bit out of control and get me in, in trouble. But you know, sure. I kind of feel like the Athenians are like that. They're just curious, like, what is this new teaching? Is what yeah. they, they say, you know? And, and there, so there's an openness. Um, there that you know maybe isn't the 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 end goal as, sure. as it were but it's like that intellectual curiosity I guess I, it just resonates with mm -hmm. me like, cool personal cool. yeah. so. I actually like that story because Paul walked into this pagan place and grabbed this pagan altar that had had how many pagan sacrifices offered on it and it's like mm -hmm. oh that's God yeah <laughs> Oh, like, I mean, oh, and it's, it's fascinating throughout the history of the church, the way that that has been the case, like just That's brief, brief thinking about like a little church history kind yeah. of here, like in England, what's now England anyways, like all of these pagan shrines. So Christianity comes in, they've got all these pagan shrines scattered throughout the history. So what do they, they do? They take the little things from inside the shrines, put relics in there. And so, you know, from yeah. bones of saints and things like, like that. And so the way that these people are worshiping and familiar with worshiping, you know, is kind of the church worked with that. You know? Yeah. And that's, I think we forget that process all the time that the church wasn't created. It was developed. Mm hmm it didn't, like, Jesus didn't come and then boom, church. Mm -hmm. Acts is showing us that the church developed. Yeah. It interacted with the world around it. Mm -hmm. And at some point, I feel like we kind of stopped doing that. Might we say the church is still developing? I would say that, but I don't know if that's how it fits in our brain scheme. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, yes, we should say, <laughs> Pastor Eric tra trapped me. No, we should, yes, we should say that, right? But I think we think that this is supposed to be it and that we got to invite people into this thing. Yeah. Forgetting that the people that are coming into this thing might have mm -hmm. something to offer that's going to radically change it. Yeah. And it needs to be that way. Maybe. Mm -hmm. And therefore we can't discount them. Yeah. And, and what they think. And that's, that's hard to take sometimes, yeah. I think. So oh, anyway, definitely. Yeah, I just... I, I point that out because I like that. I like the openness and mystery too. So, All right. Okay. We're, we're following Paul. Where do you want to go are, next? What else intrigues um, you about his journey? Well, I am... Chapter 18, Paul goes to this town called Corinth. Okay. And you may know Corinth. A couple letters got written to Corinth, the Corinthians. Mm -hmm. um, so you may be familiar, but in chapter 18, Paul gets to Corinth and he meets this Jew named Aquila and Priscilla. And they're there. But what I like about it is because he and the guy and Claudius had ordered Jerusalem, Paul went to see them. 
he, Aquila and Priscilla, Aquila is a tent maker, mm -hmm. and so is Paul. Mm -hmm. And they're connected through their profession, and Paul stays there for a while with them, and they make tents together. Mm -hmm. And Paul earns a living there while he's preaching. Yeah. And so he, during the week, he makes tents. During Sabbath, he goes into the synagogue and he mm -hmm. teaches about Jesus. And what I like about it is, I think that we read about disciples and Paul and these big, big biblical names, and we assume they were professional church people. Mm -hmm. When the actual reality was they were professional other stuff, mm -hmm. but the church was that overarching thing that in in uh, imbibed everything that they did. Mm -hmm. It was interpenetrated into everything that they did. Mm -hmm. So Paul's making tents and teaching and preaching, yeah. and that was totally fine. He wasn't right. a professional church guy. His church was ev his faith mm -hmm. was everything that he was in Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. But he could he made tents. Yeah, and he had a job. Yeah, I mean, I think the. I'm going to speak for Paul here. A Let's I think that I think that Paul would say that his primary vocation was as as an apostle. Yes, but it wasn't his profession, right? As it were, you know, there was a, a discrepancy there, and I think that you know we tend to put the two together, the yeah. employment and vocation and right. you know, profession. Yep. It, it all becomes one, but yeah. you know, it certainly wasn't the case for for Paul and the early apostles, and I, I think that for for a lot of people. Today, it's it's also not the case, you know, that right. what they truly feel called to, what they might define as their vocation, um, you know, isn't the way that they make their money. And I, I think that's great. And, yeah. you know, I, I just I would hope to affirm that and encourage yeah, sure. people to lean in that direction. Yeah. If right. that's the way that they feel called. Yeah. So, I mean, that story has always set me free in a way mm -hmm. to know that the, I mean, my job and your job, we're professional right. church people, right? And yet... Um, for everyone out there who's not a professional church person, that doesn't diminish them in mm -hmm. any way whatsoever. So I can look at the camera and say, your work out in the world doesn't diminish you in the eyes of God. God raises up your work mm -hmm. to, to allow you to share God's love with people. Mm -hmm. And then that informs everything that we do. So yeah. I've always liked that story. It's yeah. set me free kind of yeah. to just be in the world and think, oh, God's going to bless whatever it is doing yeah um, so how about for you what else you got well I know you have a couple stories in here that I uh, <laughs> you know I, I just want to to jump to 20 here, 20, here a little okay. bit. if you want to go back to something that's fine uh, you know in 19 I want to jump to 20 just because I think that this is a, a humorous story here so I'm looking at at 20 and I'm gonna even even read this uh, so here we sail from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days we joined them in Troas. So we're in Troas. Uh, this is verse 7, chapter 20, okay. verse 7. On the first day of the week, when we met to break bread, Paul was holding a discussion with them. Since he intended to leave the next day, he continued speaking until midnight. There were many lamps in the room upstairs where we were meeting. A young man named Eutychus, who was sitting in the window, began to sink off into a deep sleep while Paul talked still longer. Overcome by sleep, he fell to the ground three floors below and was picked up dead. Ah, the preacher's dream. <laughs> now, to be clear, Paul goes and gets him and it's fine. He doesn't die, but like, 
literally Paul was such a long-winded preacher that he put not only put the people to sleep, but actually killed one of them. <laughs> I, I don't remember that story very often, but it is a great story. He <laughs> preached so long that someone died. I remember uh, preaching at one point, I think I was probably like a high school student, uh, preaching in some context, and I was talking about this, this story as a metaphor for... Uh, Sometimes the way I think that the young people can feel in the church, I'm speaking as this like as like 16 or something like like that, you know. But that that sometimes I think the church, you know, just kind of allows young people because this is a young man. It says you know to exist there, but nothing right. is sort of focused on them and just sort of carrying. It's bored to the point of or neglected to the point of death. Yes, <laughs> death by preaching. Nice, that's beautiful. Um, I don't think I've ever killed anyone from preaching. No. I'm sure I've put some people to sleep, though. <laughs> I There was one time where I thought that I gave a person a heart attack. Oh, really? It turned out that it wasn't a heart attack, but it was right after the sermon. <laughs> it was, like, right there. Um, and we, yeah. Sermons got called. It was, yeah, watch out. Watch, watch out. out. Don't sit in high windows and listen to your pastor. Yeah. <laughs> Those of you in the balcony, choir, look out. Um, I do not want anyone tumbling over the choir railing. We'll just have to get more comfortable chairs. So um, I, I like great. that one. Yeah, it's, that's a a good one. it's a humorous a good story one. there. So that's a good one. Well, I would draw us back a, a, a back a town, back a town. Okay, back so a town. So Eutychus, what? Eutychus falls asleep in, in Troas. In Troas, yeah. Okay, so Eutychus falls asleep in Troas. Uh, when Paul's in Ephesus, there's all this stuff going on in Ephesus and in, in Corinth and all these things. But chapter nineteen, verse eleven, it says God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. So that when handkerchiefs or aprons touched his skin, uh, people, sick people, diseases, and there's a fly in here buzzing around. <laughs> Flew in my glasses. So what, what, I, what happens here is some people see the amazing things Paul's doing. Mm -hmm. And they want to copy him. Yeah. And so, so they try to copy a preacher of the real faith mm -hmm. and someone. And what happens is it's verse 13 in chapter 19. Then some itinerant Jewish exorcists tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. And I just think that's really interesting that one, they tried to use church, not church, they tried to use Jesus for their own personal power. Mm -hmm. And they also tried to use Jesus for their own personal power, even though they acknowledged that they didn't believe in him. They just wanted yeah. a name that was powerful. Mm -hmm. And then it says... I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul proclaims, seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this, but the evil spirit said to them in reply, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but you I don't know. But who are you? Then the man with the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered them, and overpowered them so that they fled from the house naked and wounded. <laughs> I just imagine that story of seven men going to a house and saying, I can take care of this. Mm -hmm. And the next thing you see is seven men running out of the house, <laughs> naked, naked and beaten up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> From the evil spirit because they tried to abuse God. And it's a humorous story, but I am just intrigued by the captivating power that Jesus' name had in and of itself. Mm -hmm. And also that somebody would try to claim that for their own just how manipulative that is. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just, 
it, it helps me search my own heart and look at things and see, you know, do I really believe what I believe? And I always say yes, but yeah. also it's just a reminder to, to temper what I'm doing. Yeah, I, I mean, and I, I think, you know, to just jump a little bit to another one in this chapter that, that kind of intrigues me, you know, talking about religion and um, the way that it can be manipulated yeah. to manipulate people, you know, what, what ends up happening if you jump forward uh, a little bit is, you know, there's this incident, no little disturbance, we're, we're told, um, where Demetrius, the silversmith who makes idols, yeah. like, there's false this becomes, gods. Yeah, false gods. So, but this becomes an economic issue for him and the silversmiths because the idols that they would make for Artemis, you know, aren't being sold as much. <laughs> You know, but so then what? The right. So it starts as this economic yeah, yeah. thing, but then it, it gets twisted, and these people that are being hurt economically rile everyone up based upon religion. You know, yeah. and so money manipulates religion for for power yeah. and, and wealth. Sure. Is this circle? And and I think that happens. Yeah. You know, we can see it in today. I I mean, I, I was. You know, you look at some of the these just massive religious organizations out, out there, and right. I don't know. I, I'm just, I'm very uncomfortable with the idea of like pastors flying around in private jets, and I right. wonder what's <laughs> going on there. We we covered this. Paul did not have have an airplane, you know. Right. Well, you've shot my dream. I, you know, I mean, I, I do want to be a televangelist, but I'll pass on, you know, if we make it to that point, I'll pass on the private jet. Something doesn't, you know, yeah. fit well when you've got Paul getting shipwrecked and, you know, flying on, you know, flying on a private jet. Like, right. something doesn't doesn't jive there that, that fits with me. Um, well, and just for, I mean, any of us in church, money's powerful. <laughs> yeah. Beware. Right. <laughs> right. Whatever. I mean, how, whatever that means, just pay attention. Yeah. Right. I mean, okay. there are there are far smaller scales on which money can be used to yeah. to leverage and, you know, manipulate yeah. religion or church or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's another one. I was trying to figure out where it is. It's uh, the slave girl. The slave girl, yeah, who, who can prophesy yeah. and by way of a demon and is bringing... Um, her owner, you know, a bunch of, of money, and then the demon gets cast out, and the owner is upset right. because. But it's the same thing. Like Paul's bringing freedom and liberation um, by way of casting this demon out, and here's this owner that's solely concerned about this income um, at the expense of of this slave girl. Yeah, I've, right. Find when you got if you read through everything, find that story. I've always been. Uh, That's one of those stories that's always bothered me because he cast that demon out of that girl because he's annoyed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not because he's just finally bothered by her. He's following him around and he finally casts it. Cast it. <laughs> I'm like, why wouldn't you? Would, anyway, it's just... It's a human story. Yeah. It's a human story. So I, I'm reading maybe yeah, yeah. into a little bit of no, this no, liberation thing, but, uh, you know... I think no. I think she's totally liberated. It's just this. It's just an interesting human story because she is liberated. Mm -hmm. But I'm not sure that Paul's on the right. Uh... He's not doing it maybe for the <laughs> best of motivations. I'm there. not sure. You know, it's in not the name of Jesus Christ. Motivation. I cast you out because I'm annoyed with you. <laughs> like that was weird. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Um, so you know, as we move into next week, 
Um, I think we'll go back and kind of recap some of the things that are going on, but I want to move us back to where we sort of started with the Holy Spirit coming and the Holy Spirit being the motivating factor. And I'm not going to cover them in the text, but there's some snippets of we wanted to go here and the Holy Spirit prevented us and forbid us to go to Asia. Mm -hmm. um, we were convinced that the Holy Spirit wanted us to go here and then they could, it didn't happen. And I think what we need to see in Paul's missionary journeys is that is that God and human desire and, and will and intention and everything through the Holy Spirit come together and God just works with that. Mm -hmm. And we're going to see some very key pieces where very, very negative things are utilized for, for the ultimate good and very, very negative things and negative plots and schemes and plans are ultimately right where the Holy Spirit doesn't intervene and stop them. Mm -hmm. The Holy Spirit intervenes and uses them mm -hmm. to, to take the church farther. And yeah. so I just think that helps us see when we use language like, well, it was God's plan and it was all in God's plan, that God's plan, I think, is not often dictated out like this is going to happen and then this and then this, that God's plan is taking things that are happening and making the best possible outcome come out of there mm -hmm. and for, for life to happen and kingdom to come and those things. And I think Acts kind of helps us see that mm -hmm. development and interaction of our real life with the mm -hmm. real Holy Spirit. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it, and it just, it's, it's messier than that, but I was sort of tracking this as Paul's going to yeah. Jerusalem, like the way that that appears in the text. And just to, you know, mess it up a little bit, I'm here in 20 and um, at verse 22, it says, and now as a captive with the chapter? spirits, this is 2022, 2022. And now as a captive with the spirits, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. So that's great. So yeah, Paul yep, feel, yep. Paul's feeling led by the spirits to Jerusalem, but you jump ahead a little bit. And suddenly, you know, if you jump to 21 verse four, through the Spirit, they told Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Right. Um, you know, and, and then there's this little sort of illustrated prophecy of the punishment that Paul's going to undergo mm -hmm. in Jerusalem. Yep. Um, the people are urging him not to go down in 2112. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. And ultimately, Paul's convicted. But, like, it's the messiness of that yeah. following of the Spirit and, and the discerning of the Spirit. It's like, I mean... It just intrigues me right, right. that it says through the Spirit they told Paul not to go to Jerusalem. So, I mean, is the Spirit sending these mixed messages? Are these people claiming to be in the Spirit, but it's not actually the Spirit? It's just messy. Yeah. You know, I, I wish that it was simpler and I could have this constant conviction that the Spirit was guiding me this way. But, like, the messiness seems to be far more aligned with my reality, at least. Right. Yeah. Especially now. Especially now. <laughs> oh, messy. Amen to nothing, that. nothing in our life is not messy. Everything's messy. Yeah. Right now. Yeah. But I'm inclined to think that, you know, the Spirit is, is still leading. That certainly seems to be true throughout, throughout Acts. But it's not necessarily like, you know, you were saying, here's this long line that's plotted out in front of us. Like, it's more... The spirit is just one step ahead of us. Yeah, acknowledging what's going going on and responding mm -hmm. to to that. To I like to ask in the way of discernment, what is our next most faithful step? 
Yeah, right. We don't need to have the plan for, you know, 10 years down the line. Um, you know, we don't need to have the plan for a month down the line the way we're going these days. But yeah. what is the next most faithful step? What can we do right now and feel like we're being faithful? Right. Yeah. Following the Spirit. Yeah, and that's a good word, discernment. I mean, Paul, the church, early church was in that constant stage of, well, God did this, so what is, how do we make sense of that right now? And discerning versus the decision-making piece was mm -hmm. just, they were just open to that. And yeah. It had to be. And it's an encouragement to, I think, us these days to get together with faithful people yeah. and pray and talk and figure out right. what God's telling us to do and trust that. Yeah. Um, even though it totally stinks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's hard work yeah. to do that. You know, to take things maybe a little more day at a time. Um, right. Trusting that we maybe don't see the way, but God is, is with us. Yeah, um, there anyway, yeah. Yeah. And rest in that. And rest in that. Um, take, take the presence peace. without the plan. Yeah. The presence is beyond yeah. the prison. The, and what is it? Uh, the peace that surpasses all human understanding, like to actually believe that and live into it's really hard. Yeah. We say that in church. Um, so we want to understand. Anyway. Yeah. Well, so we'll wrap up. That's enough for today. I think. The story next week and uh, kind of some, you know, sum up the book. Okay. But uh, will you close us yeah. in prayer? Yeah. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for walking in our footsteps, for walking on this earth and revealing to us the God of love. Holy Spirit, thank you for uh, coming into our lives and guiding us. And we acknowledge today, as hard as it is, that you're uh, with us, but also one step ahead of us, leading, guiding, urging, um, helping us discern what's the next uh, faithful step in our lives. I I pray that prayer for our church uh, in our community life, but I also pray it without separating that from our, our everyday lives out, out in the world, at work, as family, at home, that you're there as well, leading and guiding. Um, help us today to, to, to open up those conversations and those prayers with each other that we can uh, learn to listen to you and trust you better and live into your peace. Uh, in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. Have a blessed uh, night, day, time after whenever you're watching this.